0: We are going to be reading from Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, and we're reading from verse 5, th- I'm sorry, verse 35, Luke chapter 22, verse 35. Now remember, we are in the chronological life of Jesus, we are working through the chronology of His life, we are in the last 18 hours or so of His life, and uh, but there's plenty more to cover uh, that... that um, uh, there's there's lots in the Gospels that, that take place in this last day of his life, and then also after he has uh, uh, been buried and raised from the dead. Luke is our template because Luke is the only one of the Gospels that says specifically at the beginning that it is written in chronological order, in the order and way in which things have happened. But we look at the other Gospels because not everything is written in the Gospel of Luke, so we look at other Gospels to to fill in the pieces as we look through the chronological life. So remember, we are in the still in the time of the Lord's Supper, uh, of the uh, uh, Passover feast, where the Lord has just instituted the Lord's Supper. And now He is beginning to get them ready, to train them up, to get them ready, to now send them off, because He knows that He's going to be departing very soon. So let's look in Luke chapter 22, verse 35. It says, And He said to them, When I sent you out without money, belt and bag and sandals. You did not lack anything, did you? They said, No, nothing. And he said to them, But now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that that, that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they said Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So he makes reference. He says, do you remember previously when I sent you out, how I sent you out? So let's look at that. The first time was in Mark chapter 6. So in Mark chapter 6, he had sent them out. And we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 6 and reading from verse 8. Mark chapter 6, verse 8. We'll start in verse 7. Mark 6, verse 7. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. So nothing except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave. So when he sent them out the first time, he told them, don't take anything with you, only a staff. That's it. And a staff you use, not that they were shepherding, but a staff was commonly used for protection, not protection against the gospel, but you're going against, you're going through the wilderness at times and to have a stick with you because of dangers that might be there, bring that stick with you. But He said, I want you to learn to be totally dependent upon me. Let's look at the second time he sent them out in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, he he sent them out. uh, Luke chapter 9, and we're going to read from verse 1. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff. So this is a different time, because the first time, remember, he told them to take a staff. Now he says, don't even take a staff, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even take two tunics apiece. So this time he sends them out without even a staff. He says, I want you to be totally dependent upon me. When Jesus was on earth, they ministered in a particular way. Everybody that came to Jesus was healed physically. Everybody that came to Jesus who wanted healing was healed. What we see is that there is a ministry, a type of ministry change that occurs when he leaves this earth. Some people will say, well, everybody who came to Jesus was healed. So everybody who comes to us for prayer should be healed. You're going to have a rough time in life. You're really going to have a rough time because not everybody who comes to you for prayer is going to be healed of the particular ailment for which they've come. Things were different when Jesus walked with them. The apostles had special anointings as well. Those those apostles had special anointings. Just remarkable anointings that have not carried on beyond the apostles in many ways. Not to say we don't have ministry, not to say we don't have outreach, but there is a change. Now let's turn back to Luke chapter twenty two. Luke chapter twenty two. Reading from verse thirty five. This is so that's why he says in verse thirty five, and he said to them, When I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said no, not, not no, nothing. We didn't lack anything. Those are the occasions that he was making reference to. But now you see he has a change in protocol. He is bringing about a change in protocol. He says, and he said to them in verse 36, But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you, that which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. They said, look, Lord, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. He changes the type of ministry. So in other words, to go on the mission field and say, well, missionaries shouldn't have to raise money. They should go just like the the disciples. They should go out without anything and Jesus will take care of them. If God has called you to go in that way, go in that way. But that is no longer the general protocol. If you look at the protocol in the book of Acts, they sent them out. Paul and Silas were sent out from the church in Antioch. And they were supported by the church in Antioch. And they were supported by other local churches. This is the way ministry was done. It was different. So to just look at something in the Gospels and to say, well, this is the way it ought to be. Look at whether Jesus brought about a change. Look in the book of of Acts of how the early church was functioning. This is what He's doing. He's bringing about a change. He says, if you've got money, bring it along. You're going to need some money for the way. Well, I thought Jesus was going to support me. Well, if you run out, He'll be there to support you. He'll take care of you in some way. But bring your money along. You're going on the mission field. You're raising money to go on the mission field. How about applying some of your own? How about it? Certainly you can afford $50 You know, if you're raising $2,000 or $3,000 to go on the mission field, how about applying some of your own? Do you have $100 you can get? Give some of it. If you have money, bring it. Apply what you can to it. Don't just say, well, the church should support support me when I'm going out. If you have something, bring it along. Then let the church support you. Don't be cheap about participating in this. Don't offer up to the Lord that which costs you nothing. And one day you guys are going to graduate and you remember... The mission trips that you went on, that people paid for. When you're an engineer, expect the, the people who are younger than you, still in college, who are going out on mission trips, to approach you to say, hey, how, could you help me out with this mission trip I'm going on? Go and help them. Learn how to give. You've been recipients. Learn how to give. Learn how to give. Learn how to do that. He says, if you've got money, take it along. Likewise, also a bag. Before he said, don't bring a bag. What do you put in a bag? Well, the stuff you're going to need. Pack your bags when you're going to the mission field. Take a money belt also. Then he says an interesting thing. He says, if you have no sword, sell even your coat to buy one. This particular sword that's spoken of in in this Greek word sword is is not a sword of offense. Never in the Gospels do you see violence used. Never. In fact, when violence was used, Jesus, in preaching the Gospel, would always pull it back. James and John wanted to call down fire upon these people. He said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. Peter, which we're going to see, is going to use one of these swords that he's taking this day, and he chops off the ear of, of uh, the, high, the high priest's slave. And, uh, uh And Jesus said, stop it. And he put the ear back on, and he said, we're not going to deal like that. Never in the Gospels do you see it. So when the Crusades took place, they were going against what the Gospels taught. Many people do many things in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, that Jesus Himself didn't teach. That's the difference of it. We don't use these tools in the ministry of the Gospel. This sword was a typical sword. If you go camping, you are crazy to go camping without a pocket knife. And not a little pen knife either. A reasonably sized pocket knife. If you go hunting, it's nice to have a knife along. He's telling them, bring this sort of... This sword is speaking of a short uh, of a short sword or dagger-like instrument. Bring this along. You're going to need it. And I was speaking to a guy. who says, he thinks that this is totally figurative. Well, why did he say, even sell your coat and buy one? Why did he say when he's listing this in the implements you are to bring along. And then he even says, he says, you know, and because you're carrying this, people are going to think you're transgressors. But this is what he told them to take with them. So in other words, you're going to need the tools of protection. And, and we really need to think before we start judging some people, do you lock the door in your home? Do you lock the door? Why do you lock the door? Can't Jesus protect you? He's going to protect you. When I was a child... My parents didn't lock the front door. They didn't lock the front door to the house. We would go places they'd never lock the front door. It was a different generation. And then our house got robbed one day, and after that, we started locking the front door. Now, the chief of police lived a few doors down. He was driving home one evening. He saw a strange car in the driveway. He called his buddies, and they caught the guys coming out of our home who had robbed it. But after that, we locked the doors. Why do you lock your doors? Don't you trust Jesus? Well, sure, you trust Jesus, but it doesn't mean that you you don't want to lock the doors. If Jesus has called you not to lock your door, fine. But don't put that upon other people. And so he says, you know, I want you to use your senses when you go. And so he had for them this change. And then, then what happens is they sing a hymn, so they close out the Passover feast. So now turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And we are going to read from verse um, verse 25, verse 26. Mark chapter 14, verse 26. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So he closes out this particular uh, Passover feast. You always close it out with a cup and with a hymn. And, and that word hymn... It actually is a verb, and they hymned. They sang, you sing Psalm 117 and Psalm 118. The same hymns that are sung today were sung in the first generation, during the Passover. So they would sing those two hymns, Psalm 118 being a very vivid messianic psalm. And then he begins to go into a deep passage. So now we're going to turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and in John chapter 14 this begins what's called the upper room discourse they're still in the upper room and he begins the upper room discourse the upper room discourse is John chapter 14 15 16 and 17 it is four chapters the upper room discourse it begins in the upper room chapter 14 is 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 set in the upper room and then chapters 15 and 16 are on their way to Gethsemane, where they'll leave now Jerusalem, which is up on this this mountain. You go down the hill into the Kidron Valley, back up the Mount of Olives, and on the side of the Mount of Olives you have Gethsemane. So this is the walking time. I don't know what the direct route is, but I've walked that route before, and and uh, it, it doesn't go straight down and straight up because it, it's, it's too steep. I mean, you could do it, but generally the, the you go kind of at an angle down into the valley and an angle back up the, the, uh, the, the side of the Mount of Olives. The walk today might be 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It depends on how you walk. You could probably do it in, in 10 or 15 minutes if you, if you walk straight down the hill and, and, and back up at a good clip. But it depends on how you're walking, but it gives us a rough amount of time that's needed to do this. He starts this in John chapter 14. This starts in the upper room. The whole thing collectively is called the upper room discourse. This is the last of seven discourses that are talked about in the book of John, in the gospel of John. This is the last of seven. We're about to see the last two of seven I am's where Jesus uses the words I am, specifically speaking of when when God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent to you. Jesus used that seven times and John makes reference to that. The last two of the, the, the seven that are used in, the, in, in John's gospel are in this upper room discourse. This is where you see in, in, uh, in, in John chapter 14, you have, you have this passage that he begins to speak about to reassure them, where there's this farewell in John chapter 15 and 16, this occurs on the way. John chapter 17, we're going to see that he prays. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for believers collectively. This is what he begins to do. We see this change now in this time where he's preparing the disciples and he begins to lay down doctrine that's going to be expanded upon through, throughout the epistles. He will lay down this doctrine. He's going to have this transition from law to grace that's going to, to occur. And you see this relationship, his relationship to new believers. He'll begin to lay that down. So let's look at this and, and begin to go through it and see what Jesus is, is, wants to give. This is the last formal message that he is going to give to his, his, his disciples. So imagine if you were to, to culminate three and a half years of teaching. How would you wrap this thing up? Here's how Jesus wraps the whole thing up. This is the last teaching that He's about to give him, give them because right after this Upper Room Discourse, which actually continues right on up to the point of Gethsemane, there is no more teaching. This is the last formal teaching. Verse 1 of John chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. Verse 2 of John chapter 14, My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So he starts out, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He's speaking to Jewish believers. He's speaking to them, he says, look, you've learned all about God. Now believe in me, believe in me. Then he starts to reassure them. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, to take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. This is the reassurance of the believer. You will forever if you are in Christ, if you have accepted the Lord in your life, you will forever be with Jesus. When you die, Jesus will come and take your spirit back to be with Him. And one day, He will. Your body will be re, re, will be resurrected, and it will meet your spirit in the air. This is what the Scriptures say. You say, "Well, what if the body's decomposed? What if the body's cremated? What if the body was, you know, lost at sea?" And Jesus put your body together once, He can do it again. You know, there's, we know that there's conservation of mass. The elements themselves remain. Jesus can pull them back together just like He pulled them together once. He will do it again. He will reconstruct the body and it will meet the Spirit in the air. This is what the Scriptures teach. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have said it like this. This is so comforting. When, when, so Shireen and I will often go to Israel and spend a month there where I go teach at Hebrew University for a month and, and I will make all these arrangements. So lots of plans before I go. So I'll, I'll arrange for the apartment, make sure that it's, it's where we need it to be and I'll make sure I've signed all the paperwork. I, I, I get the flight tickets for both Shireen and myself. I get the passports ready and... Uh, get everything ready, get everything lined up. I call in for the credit card so they'll work over there and all the details. She doesn't have to worry about anything. All she has to do is get her bag packed and be ready that morning that we're leaving. I take care of everything for her. Once we get there, so, so you know, the, shortly after we get there, the next morning, I'm boom, I'm right out to the university and beginning to work, jet lag and all. And the apartment's not set up, nothing's set up. But when I come home that evening, guess what's different about the apartment? She's cooking. There's spices in the air. She has prepared spices and brings them with her in her suitcase. She's got all the towels put away, everything set, all the beds made. She's got my, my, my paperwork and everything on the desk where I like it. I don't have to worry about anything. She takes care of all of that. You know, I've taken care of the rental car. I've taken care of the hotel, the the apartment that is going to be there. She takes care of the whole room. I don't have to worry. I don't have to ask her. Now, be sure you do that. I don't have to ask her because I know she will take care of all of it. When I come home from work that first day, that apartment is no longer an apartment. It is a home. She has made it into a home. Just in a matter of a few hours, she's made it into a home. She's going to take care of that. She will do that. And this is what Jesus says. He said, don't worry about it. I am taking care of it. In my Father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. So in other words, He knows the way you like things. He knows how you like your bed made. He knows how you like yourself. He knows it. Shireen knows the way I like it. And so she gets it set up the way I like it. She doesn't say, well, I know he likes his books on his desk. I, I just think I'll bother him and keep it in a box somewhere. No. She does this. She knows where I want something. And it's just all right there. She's taking care of everything. Jesus does this for the believer. This is tremendous comfort to those who have accepted Jesus. If you've not accepted Jesus, come to Him. Don't wait any longer. Don't think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do it at some later date. You don't know what the future has. And the future that awaits the unbelievers is not a happy future at all. You can't say, well, you know, I attended that Bible study. We're good to go, right? No. It doesn't work that way. Receive the Lord. Don't let another day go by without receiving the Lord. Let Him come into your life. He will prepare a place for you. He promises you that. He says, if it weren't, so, I wouldn't have told you this. I'm going to be, prepare a place to you, for you so that where I am, you're going to be. Where I am, you are going to be. It's like a father with his children. You know, you go overseas with your children. Don't worry. You're going to be with me. I'm going to take care of you. It's not like, well, we're going to go overseas. You figure out where you're going to go. No, you're my kids. I'll look out for you. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place. He says, where I am, there you're going to be. You're not going to be in some limbo area. You're going to be right there with me in my father's house. In the kingdom of God, if you're a believer, immediately, when you lay your head down and you're no longer alive, boom, you're with him. He will receive you. He will welcome you. And he's going to show you your new place. How do you like How would you know I like it like this? Well, I kind of watched you every morning. And that's how I knew. Tremendous comfort to the believer. I want to look at this verse in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Very interesting the way he said this. He did not say, your hearts shall not be troubled. He didn't say that. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You see what he did? He personalized this. You have a role in this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It is not just, oh, well, you know, you do it. You know, you spoke it, it's done. He says, no, you participate in this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. There is something that we as believers do to pick up and to say, Lord, my heart, get a hold of my heart. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You can take a verse and you can personalize this and it just lifts up your heart. Let me share with you to me, what's a very personal verse. This is in, in, in Isaiah, in the, in, in the book of Isaiah. We're going to read from chapter 41, Isaiah chapter 41. So Isaiah is this big book that's kind of like in the middle of your Bible. You've got Psalms sort of like right in the middle. And then a few books after that you find Isaiah. It's a very, very long book. And there is a verse in here that was given to me at my baptism. And so I was right about your age. I was 19 years old. I came to the Lord when I was 18. At 19 years old, there was a great man. His name was Brother Bak Singh, who taught me a lot. And I was very blessed to be able to learn from him. Him and another man named Dr. Koshi, both of them from India. And Brother Bak Singh gave me a verse And I held on to that verse. That is Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10. It says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That verse became my verse. I took that verse and I would I'd memorize it, and I would say it over and over and over again. To me, now, today, this verse, Isaiah 41.10, is like an old friend. From the time I was 19, the Lord picked me up with this verse. You know, I, I don't know if, if, if school is as, hard as as hard now as it was when I was in college. But... I mean, I just never felt I could ever catch up. Does that ever happen to you? I mean, just, it would never catch up. And, and I remember the, the pastor would walk up to me and say, so you've had all, all weekend, are you caught up? I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, the more I study, the more I see I have to study. What are you talking about? It just doesn't work this way. I felt, he just, anyway. And I would, I would just feel sometimes so overwhelmed. And I would get alone. And I would take this verse and says, Do not fear, for I am with you. I would say, yes, Lord. Lord, take this fear out of my heart. You are with me. And I would just envision, in my mind's eye, I would envision Jesus standing right next to me. Paul said, the Lord stood at my side and told me, you have solemnly witnessed here in Jerusalem. You must witness in Rome also. The Lord stood at His side. I would imagine the Lord standing right at my side saying, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I mean, I was just... If, if you think I'm hyperactive now, I mean, I was tight as a banjo string. It was just... and Just calm me. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Do you see the participation we have when He says... Do not let your hearts be troubled. He draws us into this. He says, you got something to do with this too. I'm not just going to wave a magic wand and boom. You're done. I do that with salvation. But you participate in this. Do not let your heart be troubled. And I would take this verse and it was mine. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I used to to think about Jesus and my sitting in the palm of God's hand. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And He would strengthen my heart. This was my meditation. This verse was my meditation when I was your age. And through this verse, he did not. I, my heart was not troubled. I would take this verse and make it a part of my life. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Sometimes I'd be so tired. And I'd say, Lord, give me strength. Give me strength. And then I'd read this verse. I will strengthen you. Go in this your strength, as the scriptures say. I will strengthen you. You take the word of God and you personalize it. And you drop yourself right into the word of God. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, I can let my heart be troubled or I cannot let my heart be troubled. He says, don't let it be. You take this word and you personalize it and you bring it into your life. This is a treasure that I'm sharing with you. Most believers, most believers in the world never do this. They never understand the exercise of the power that God has given us through the scriptures. Don't let your lives, your Christian lives be wasted by never learning how to take the scriptures and personalize it and bring it into your life. Then I went to graduate school and the Lord began to speak to me, and there was a verse that not not that somebody gave to me, but just through my readings, it just it just reached out and 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 just grabbed me, just through my readings. It was in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles is in the Old Testament. Look and you'll find it. Second Chronicles. In Second Chronicles, and, and the way I read the scriptures is the way Brother Box sings taught me. I would pick up on Genesis chapter one, verse one, and I would start reading. And then I would and then the next day I would pick up reading where I left off the day before. And I would get done with Revelation chapter twenty two and I'd start again. And that's the way I'd read, that's the way I continue to read. So for more than 35 years, this is the way I've read the Bible. You say, well, you don't. you've got to be more systematic. How can you be more systematic from page one to the end? And you get everything. And I read it again and again and again. One day I was reading, and what happens is, when the Lord speaks to you, you're reading the Scriptures, and you don't just start reading. You say, Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. Lord, speak to me. And I would cry, Lord, speak to me. And then I start to read the Word of God and it comes a lot. I, before I was a believer, I tried to read the Bible. It made no sense. And now God was speaking to me through the Scriptures. Not just teaching me what happened in those days, but bringing it into my life. In Judaism, it never speaks of, of, of history. It speaks of remembrance. It personalizes it for you. Remember. Remember. You're to personalize this. And I was reading in Second Chronicles chapter 11. Then Asa called to the Lord. 2 Chronicles chapter 14 verse 11. 2 Chronicles chapter 14 verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there is no no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. And I took this verse and I wrote it down and I remember it was on a a piece of yellow tablet paper and I wrote this verse down but I changed it a little bit. It said, where it says, uh, um, where it says, so help us, O Lord our God. I put, so help me, O Lord my God, for I trust in You and in Your name I've come against this multitude. O Lord, You are my God Let no man, let not man prevail against you. And I personalized it. I put my name into that verse. I put it up on my door in my graduate school dormitory room. And I prayed this over and over and over again. And before I left the room each morning, I would fall on my knees. I'd look at that verse and I would just say, Lord, do this in my life. Help me in this battle. I can't do this between the strong and those who have no strength. And I would pray this prayer every Wednesday. Every Wednesday this professor would give us a physical chemistry exam. I mean if it were organic, I mean that'd be that'd be fun. I mean the physical chemistry every Wednesday. And I remember spending extra time on Wednesday mornings on my knees before God. And then I remember it was it was finals time and, and there was a big organic chemistry final and, and uh the final was on Monday morning. And just massive amounts of stuff. It was a six-hour exam. And he already told us, six hours, one question. <laughs> Which means that he was going to give us a molecule. You dissect it and you synthesize it. Big whopping molecule. And we knew what was... We didn't know what molecule. We just knew we were going to get a molecule in six hours. And and, uh, and I remember it was, it was Sunday and I came down for breakfast just before church and I saw everybody sitting in the in the cafeteria, in the graduate cafeteria and they were they were looking over their notes and studying and I, and I thought, "No, Lord. I dedicate this day to you. I'm going to dedicate this day to you." And I wasn't going to work on that Sunday and I was just going to trust God. I wasn't going to work and I was said, "Lord, I was going to dedicate this to you." And everybody was cramming and studying. Then came Monday morning and God blessed so much. I mean, this is not me. This was the Lord. God blessed so much. I remember taking that exam. The professor liked it so much. He gave me an extra 25 points. I mean, just 125 out of 100. I mean, God just blessed. I have seen the blessing of God in my life. You say, oh, well, you know, you've always been so smart. I have not. You have been so smart. I have not. This was God. This was God. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let it. You participate in this. It says, by faith, by faith they conquered kingdoms. By faith they became mighty in battle. They became mighty in the battle. It wasn't just sitting here and going to become mighty. No, in the battle you become mighty. This is why you're under pressure. Because it's in the battle you become mighty. What happens when people retire? As soon as they retire, they die. Because they're no longer in the battle. It happens all the time. You think I'm kidding you. People say, you know, I just want to go out and play golf all the time and I'm looking forward to this retirement. They retire six months later. They're dead. They were so active. And they're dead. It happens all the time. It is in the battle that you remain mighty. It's in the battle. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. He will reward you if you seek him. You must believe this. It's not a matter like push you believe no you must believe it you participate in this do not let your hearts be troubled take the word of god and bring it into your life let's pray abba father come and minister to our hearts i want to pray lord this day with these young people to commit our lives to taking the Word of God and personalizing it so that our hearts would not become troubled, that we would not let our hearts become troubled. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would learn to pick up the Word of God and personalize it. Make it their lives. Father, do this, I pray. Do this. Let them personalize it. For those here who do not know you, come to Jesus today. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait any longer. See the goodness that it is to be able to pick up the Word of God and have God speak to you through the Scriptures. Let it start with a relationship with God. Lord, I pray for these young people that You draw them to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, this day, you pray. Pray with me now. For those of you who do not know the Lord, pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. I proclaim that Jesus is Lord and I believe that He's risen from the dead. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit to overflowing Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And if you receive the Lord this day, come and speak to me. Come. Come and speak to me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you so fill us, so fill us with Jesus, that our hearts, in the midst of our busyness, would not be troubled. And I commit these young people to you. Have mercy on them, I pray. Glory be to your name. Amen.